Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right. You have your Bible open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Good to see everybody's winter clothes coming out of the closet. The moths did not destroy over the year. There was a, an effort, I guess, sometime back when I was born, I won't tell you when it was, uh, back in the 70s, late 70s, to remove the larger Eisenhower dollar coin from circulation and to make a smaller coin. Well... Through that process, there was a request that on that coin there be a female presence. And so we got the Susan B. Anthony dollar coin. The problem was the coin did not reach that great level of circulation like other coins because it looked so much like a quarter. Could you imagine the people of the United States being confused? So many people had a hard time distinguishing, it said, between that dollar coin and the quarter that people just opted not to use it, not to mention Coke machine makers were having fits. If you think about it, there are a lot of us in the church that are just like that. In Christ, we're worth a dollar, but the way we live makes it look like we're only worth a quarter. Jesus calls each one of us to trust him, and in trusting him, we are also called to become more like him. Too many of us are okay being a quarter when in Christ we are called to be the dollar. If you would stand as I read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and following. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the grace and mercy given to us through Jesus Christ, in whom we can find the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Father, show us today what we must do with this calling of Jesus, with the time that we are given, and how we are to grow as the disciple. Father, by your grace, I pray that you shape us, make us, Discipline us and strengthen us as we journey in obedience to become more like Christ. As I pray so often, Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not provide us, and what we are not make us for your glory and our good. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A disciple is a learner. We need to ask that question. What is a disciple? As we get ready to focus our attention on discipleship and making disciples, we need to answer that question this morning. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, someone who adheres to the teaching of the teacher. They are to be imitators of the teacher. As the church, we are called to make disciples. As author and pastor Jim Putman said in his book, Real Life Discipleship, there is an invitation given in the definition of verse 19 that we read just a moment ago. Listen again. They were casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. You see, being a disciple, following Jesus, that invitation is an invitation to a work that he is going to do in your life, and it means a change in your life. It means a change in your head, in your heart, and in your hands. That disciple that we are looking for, that we are called to make, Robbie Gallaty is just simply defined as a follower, a devoted follower of Jesus. That's where we want to leave it. A disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus. So hear the invitation of Jesus this morning from his words in verse 19. He says, follow me. Not me, but follow, follow him. Follow him. So we look and flush this out a little bit more this morning, and we say this, first off, a disciple trusts and follows Jesus Christ. Now verse 20 in Matthew's gospel, he says, immediately... They left. They left everything there and followed him. They were fishing. They were busy that day. They had lives. They had schedules. But they left it all because of this invitation to follow Jesus. If you'll take a brief look at verse 17, just before this passage that we started in, you'll see the message that Jesus was preaching Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is the mission that he was sent for. That mission is the utmost importance for Jesus, but he knew his time was short. He knew his time wouldn't be forever on this earth. He knew that he had just a short time before he would go to the cross, and in a short time, it's three years. And so he's got his work cut out for him with that mission at hand. And so Jesus is quite intentional in calling these 12 to follow him. This kind of invitation that Jesus offers his disciples was a break from the norm. That's kind of how Jesus operated. He always operated different than what the religious figures and culture was doing in that time. That time. We, we should take a, a hint from that as the church, but every other rabbi or disciple, that relationship centered on the student selecting the rabbi under which they would want to learn. They would spend the time learning the teaching of their master, and then they would eventually go out, having memorized the teaching of the master, would go out and begin to teach on their own when the instruction was concluded. But here, 
as Jesus so often did, went against the social and religious norms of the day and sought out his disciples. Why? I believe it's because for Jesus, the mission mattered more. It mattered more because his, this is his mission. Repent because the kingdom of God has come. Now we remember in Jesus being sent by the Father, he says repeatedly in John's gospel that he only did and said what he saw the Father doing. So we know that the Father has directed the Son in this moment to select these 12 to be his disciples. Jesus called people unto repentance. And then Jesus will pay the price for that repentance at the cross. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus helped the disciples catch two boatloads of fish. Peter and John followed him after that moment. These guys had a very basic understanding of who Jesus was at that point. They, they knew enough that they felt like they could trust him. Others would follow in time as Jesus would reveal himself to them. But it's a big deal to be asked to be a disciple of a rabbi. His ministry would go on beyond that. Think about his ministry. Jesus would walk on water. What did they learn in that moment? He would calm the seas when they were raging in the boat and he was asleep. He would feed 5,000 plus one time and more than 4,000 at another time. He worked miraculous moment after miraculous moment. And these 12 men came to a place of certainty that he was the one the Jews were waiting for, that he was the Messiah. In fact, Peter would proclaim such. You are the Christ, he would proclaim. And they followed him and they trusted him, at least to a certain extent, up into the cross. And then the resurrection and then the Holy Spirit comes and the church is launched. But think about trust for a moment. Think about where these disciples had to be for just a moment. That Greek verb for trust simply means to believe, to be convinced of something, specifically to have faith in God or in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, that word means to rely on, to depend on with a sense of being completely confident and feeling safe. I could simply just, in my simple brain, the way it works is I was thinking of, take two chairs, for instance, okay? You can evaluate them. One's a, an old wooden chair. It looks a little bit rusty, and, and it's just had its years. Of, it's worn, and then you have one of these nice cushy chairs that's metal, right? You, sit, you, you place them side by side. You get a feel for them. Well, the, the wooden chair feels a little bit wobbly, if you will, and the other one feels steady. Now, if, if you, uh, which one would you sit in? You want to be on America's Funniest Videos and fall like some of those people do, or do you want to sit and, and choose the one that's sure and steadfast. We would choose the one that's sure and steadfast because we would trust that, be, uh, uh, that, that chair. That, that's what this word means for us, to rely on, depend on, complete confidence that it's going to do what it says it's going to do. That is the essence of trust, that we recognize who God is versus who we are. Now, our God is that strong and firm foundation, that chair that's gonna hold us while we would be compared more to that old wooden rickety chair that's gonna fall apart the minute any kind of pressure or weight is added to it. That's who we are in light of God, who God is versus who we are. That's the essence of trust. Now, a great deal of people today will put their trust in wealth. Just wait till the stock market crashes again and you'll find out who they are. They're tempted to trust in money. 
There are those who are politically powerful who will trust in their social networking. Now, there are some others who might, uh, who, who might be strong and, and, and would base their, their trust on their physical strength or their military might. Then there's those who are intelligent. That's some of us in this room, but uh, some of you, I should say, not me, you in this room. And, and we, you're thinking that, that it's all about your intellect and your understanding, your, your, your prowess in that. But it's only when we come to recognize that all of those things are insufficient and that we must look outside of ourselves. And when we look outside of ourselves, we find there is God, the God who has created us, the God who has given us life. That these earthly things, when compared to God, pale in comparison. And that we come to trust God rather than any of these earthly things And when we do so, we express our confidence in God's character. We express our confidence and acknowledge that he is more, infinitely more, than we could ever ask or imagine. That he is infinitely more reliable and trustworthy and dependable than anything that this earth has to offer. So when I say that the disciples trusted Jesus, this is where they are. This is where we need to be as well. To be his disciple means that you and I must recognize and accept and trust who Jesus is. Thus, we follow him in obedience. In trust, we submit ourselves to his authority just like the disciples did. And if you're following, the word tells us you're behind him. Jesus said it, in fact, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, Jesus would go on to say. The shepherd leads, we follow as his sheep. This is the gospel invitation. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is the change that changes everything, and it changes your heart, your mind, and your hands, and it's good news for you. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus on that kind of level that says everything the world has to offer pales in comparison to the grace and mercy and love of God, and then I want to put my trust in what Jesus did for me at the cross because he is trustworthy, he is dependable, and what he has done is reliable, and in that relationship there is forgiveness of sins and new life, and that I become a new creation, and that the Holy Spirit works in my life to make me into, into that new creation. To make me more like Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord to forgive you of your sins, to receive that eternal life, then today if you hear his voice calling you, don't turn away. Trust him as that old hymn we used to sing. At least I used to sing it as a kid. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. In fact, I want to give you a moment right now. If you would bow your head and close your eyes Normally I do this at the end of the service, but today it's coming here because I've got some more explaining to do in just a few minutes of what I said last week. So if you are ready to receive Christ today, I wanna give you an opportunity right now. At the end of our time this morning, we'll have a time to respond and that's when I'll call you forward. But if you are ready to trust him on that level that says, I'm gonna turn away from everything else this world has to offer. And I hear the words of Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and I believe the kingdom of heaven is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone and you believe that he died on on the cross to save you from your sins, if you are ready to receive him and trust him on that level today, 
Would you simply pray something like this? Dear Lord and Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and that God raised you from the dead. I trust and give my life to you as Lord and Savior. Guide me and help me to do your will. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that this morning, I want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to welcome you to the church. We want to know about that. We want to celebrate that decision that you have made this morning in answering the call of Jesus upon your life. We want to celebrate that as a church because the angels in heaven celebrate when one lost sinner comes home, and we want to celebrate it too as the church. Now, we are called to follow Jesus. We are called to obey Jesus. A lot of folks like the idea of being saved from our sin, but we don't like the idea of lordship. We struggle with that. Man, especially as Texans do we struggle with that, as fierce, independent-minded folks that we can be. But we cannot be one without the other. Lord and Savior. And friend, that boils down to what we've already been talking about. It's a trust issue. We'd rather trust in what we can see, more importantly, what we can control rather than trust him to work and to follow him. Listen, don't fall in the trap of thinking that it's his job to follow you around and fulfill all your wishes. There are some that are gonna preach that and there are some that are preaching that even in our community. That's called the prosperity gospel, health and wealth, that Jesus is gonna follow you around because it's his job to prop you up and to bless you and to fulfill all of your dreams, all of your wishes, all of your wants, so you can reach the highest level of you that you could be. That's a bunch of hooey where I come from. That's a false gospel. That's not what and why Jesus died. He died to make you more like him, not him become more like us. Jesus said, all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. As Jesus changes your heart, he changes your hands, he changes your head, he's changing everything to trust him more. I love the way my my wife's family, my, my wife's parents taught her what this means. And it's just that Jesus is your boss. He's your boss. Now, if you're the boss where you are, you may struggle with that. But he is our boss. He is our authority. A disciple is also being changed by Jesus Christ. We hear that, but listen again to his words. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Doesn't it stand to reason that Jesus said to these guys, I will make you, that they were not yet what he wanted them to be? I will make you. Jesus didn't select these guys because they were good looking or something special or they had the great educational degrees, prepackaged disciples, if you will, right? Just microwave them and then boom, they're ready, right? That's not who they were. The study that some of our D groups, uh, our D group leaders and some of our small group leaders went through back in the fall, I love the way that Robbie Gallaty expressed this. He said, discipleship, we think sometimes discipleship is like a microwave. It's done in an instant, but rather it's not. It's more like a crock pot. It's a slow cooking process. You know, it always tastes better in the slow cooking, doesn't it? Always. These guys were regular, uneducated men, ordinary in every sense of the word, vocational fishermen, and a few other hated professions like tax collectors. 
But Jesus made it clear. Jesus made it absolutely clear that he would make them into something that they were not. And that is exactly what he does with us. Jesus makes us into something that we are not. He called these 12, equipped them for three years, then promised a power from on high that this power would come, this counselor, this friend, this guide would come. And he did. And as he came, they were changed. Jesus addressed their beliefs. He addressed their attitudes over those three years. He addressed their actions. Everything about them was changed by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the rest of the New Testament says about what Jesus does, did in their life and does in our life. Listen to Romans chapter eight, verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you hear that? To be conformed to the image of his son. God determined, predetermined what we would be long ago that we would be conformed to the image of his son, not to the image of the pastor, not to the image of a denomination, not to the image of a creed or a confession of faith, but to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just as we are like Adam, in every single way, fallen and sinful, so we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is Christ, as we are in Christ. But we can't do that on our own. That's the work that he does in us. Listen to Philippians chapter three, verse 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. I mean, this is like, Living in a tent versus living in a mansion on the water. I'm the tent. He's got the mansion. He's making my old tent into something more beautiful than I could ever imagine. But I've got to trust him in that work. That's what he told his disciples. I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come back for you. I will come back and get you. We've got to trust that process. He will transform, not not how much I give, not how much I do. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He has the power to do just that. Listen to 1 John 3, verse two. Dear friends, we are God's children now, today in Christ. We are God's children. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. What a glorious, glorious thought and truth for our life today. But it requires trust. You see, he took these fishermen into messengers and made them into messengers of grace and mercy. As one man wrote, Jesus made them into rescuers from hell. The Holy Spirit came as the catalyst, the catalyst of supernatural heart and life change. And and in this, he now produces what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. And in Christ, we are fashioned into his image for good works, which which Paul says in Ephesians, good works which were prepared beforehand by God. 
And as rescuers from hell, a disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. That mission is to be fishers of men, fishers of people. Instead of going after sea creatures, we're to go after people. I told you a few moments ago, just right here, Jesus made these men into rescuers from hell. That's what we've, we phrase, fishers of men. That's what they're doing. There's a parable in the Gospel of Matthew, the parable of the dragnet, where the net is cast out and the fish are brought in. And there in that parable, Jesus is teaching the judgment that is to come. And in that judgment, there is a division that will happen. Friend, if you think the division is not going to happen, you need to read your Bible a little bit more. The division is going to happen. Jesus taught that there will be a division in the last day. The good, those who are in Christ will be kept. Those that are not in Christ will be thrown out. Read the parable. If we think about literally about fishing, some of you catch and release, others of you catch and eat. I appreciate those who catch and eat. I also appreciate those who catch and release. Leave it for me next time, I'll eat it. But those who are fishing are catching and the fish dies. Our mission though, fishing for men, so that they will not die, but rather have life. It's a big difference. That's the mission the disciple is committed to. We place a lot of value on things that according to scripture don't really matter. But when it boils down to it, the people that we know and the people that we love that do not know Jesus are lost for eternity unless they repent and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we get on board with his mission, and we let our likings and our preferences go. That means Jesus is working on our hearts and changing our hearts to his kingdom mission, to focus on that kingdom mission. Because ultimately, we're not here to make disciples of our preferences. We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. He died for all so that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. That's what he's after. Therefore, Paul wrote, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen, God has given us abilities, he's given us talents, he has certainly given us spiritual gifts with the Holy Spirit, he's given us vocations, families, time, and all of those things are on call for the kingdom of God. And as a church, we are partnered with Christ, and we join him on this mission to see the lost saved, and disciple. So, I arrive with how we're going to work on this here at Coastal Oaks Church. I believe that it is time that we get back to making sure that we are focusing our attention on discipleship, not to exclude other ministries. But let me answer this question what about Coastal Oaks Church? So, what the group that went through our training back in the fall, what we discovered in that was that there are some excellent working definitions of discipleship that we need to adopt. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's, it's in scripture and it's sufficient for us. One of those definitions is gonna be, a, I think it's a fill in the blank. So if you like filling in the blanks, have fun with this one because you got a lot to do. But let me just read it for you, okay? And then you follow along. Discipleship 
is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Jesus. Discipleship is intentionally equipping whom? Believers. Believers, those who have already trusted in Jesus Christ with what? The word of God, God's word, okay? These things are important. I'm bringing them out for you so you understand. Through accountable relationships, we're calling those D groups, D for discipleship, D groups, empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Jesus, okay? So when I say discipleship, or that we should be involved deeply in disciple-making, that's what I mean. That's what discipleship is. Now, disciple-making, we're gonna give a slightly different expanded version. Disciple-making is intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus and teach them to obey his commands, Intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus. Do you see that word evangelism? Discipleship never excludes evangelism. Some people in the church make that, make that jump. It never does. You can't have discipleship without evangelism. And if you're, all you're doing is evangelizing, you're not discipling anybody, you'll be a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be a mile wide and a mile deep. They go together like peanut butter and jelly like salt and pepper. They just work together in that way. Intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus and then teach them to obey his commands. Now, I hope on your notes this morning that you'll look down at the bottom and find there the disciple's path. I believe it'll be up on the screen uh, as well. There we go. This is something, uh, Andy, was this our transition team that put this together before that? Okay, so this has already been adopted by Coastal Oaks Church long before I ever got here, but it's a great tool. Visually, it helped me to see exactly where we were going and what we needed to be doing, okay? So if you take a look up at the top, what does it say? It says begin. That's where we find evangelism at work. Now, in my mind, and in my heart, everything we do as Coastal Oaks Church needs to fall in in this pathway. Everything we do, we need to be intentional about planning. We need to be intentional about discipling and teaching and what we're doing, what our calendar looks like to make sure that we're following our path so that we're faithful to what Jesus has called us to do, make disciples. As we go, make disciples to follow him so that he will make us into fishers of people. So you see there at the top, begin. That's, that could be a first-time visitor. And do you know that that happens, first-time guests, that they've already been to our website before they ever step foot in the door? That may be you this morning. You may be a first-timer right here, but you've already watched this online or you're watching this morning, thinking about coming and trying us out. Even before folks step in the foot, door, foot of our doors, that's where it begins. But there are other people. There are thousands of people in Rockport today who are not inside a church and are not tuning in online, and they need to hear about Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility as the church, to introduce people to faith in Christ and the life of the church. Once we hit that part, 
we, we turn our eyes to the next phase, which is to belong, which defi- is defined as leading people to partner with the church through a commitment to membership. Now that happens, one, through baptism. Once you come to Christ and you've trusted him for salvation, the command then is to follow through with believer's baptism. We saw that after, uh, after the worship service or at the end of the worship service last week. Praise God for that. That is one way to become a member and a partner of Coastal Oaks Church. And I believe that it's the first step of discipleship and obedience. Discipleship, we trust Jesus, we follow him. He told us to be baptized, therefore we need to obey. So baptism is one way. If you've already been saved and you've already been baptized by immersion, then what does it look like to belong to Coastal Oaks Church? Well, it looks like coming to a partnership gathering. That's actually gonna happen next Sunday between services when we go back to two services next week at 1015, right across the parking lot in our administration building. There in the partnership gathering, you learn more about the vision of Coastal Oaks Church and how you can be plugged in. If you've been visiting with us for a while, it's been a couple of months since we had one of those, but the next one's coming up. I wanna invite you to be a part of that so you can come and hear all about Coastal Oaks Church and how we want to help you become more like Christ. After you belong to the church, next comes the become stage. This is how we're going to guide people into and through a small group disciple-making ministry. That looks like what you see, life groups. Life groups, a.k.a. grow groups, a.k.a. grace groups, a.k.a. Sunday school, small group ministry, whatever you want to call it. We've had quite a, a different change of names over the years, but that's what we're calling them now, life groups. We want them to be life stage oriented. Like I said last week, eventually when we have room, we're gonna have some on Sunday morning, but not all are gonna be on Sunday morning. Some of them are strategically placed throughout the week, which is a great decision to make. Life groups. Also involved in that stage, getting involved in a small group disciple-making ministry involves our men's and women's ministry. Our men's ministry is almost up and running. I mean, they're, they're just like ready to pull the trigger. The, the shell's in the chamber and all they gotta do is aim and when it's done, like they're ready to take off. I am so pumped that the men, uh, for the, the three guys who have taken leadership of this, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be help, so helpful and beneficial to the men in our church and the men in our community. Women's ministry's been going for a while. They're gonna keep going and doing what they're doing. But we also have student and children's ministry are involved in this. Declaration on Wednesday nights. And this is why, as a church, we need to be praying for our next children's minister, whomever that person is that God has in mind. Because we gotta be discipling our little ones too. It's vitally important. So please join me in praying for who that person, who God has for us, for Coastal Oaks Church. But then here's this new stage. B, provide opportunities for purposeful engagement of others along this path. We're calling this the stage for D groups. So you can see that not everybody is going to be ready for a D group. D group's gonna be a little bit more involved than the normal life group. D groups are groups of three to five people. D groups are by invitation from the D group leader. We're not putting you in a D group. You need to be invited into a D group, okay? Not everybody's ready for that, but it's a little more involved. It's reading your Bible every single day, taking journal notes, hearing what the Lord is saying to you, how does this apply to my life, working through that, committing to a once a week meeting with your D group for the next year, growing in Christ, holding one another accountable. That's that accountable relationships. That's where that comes in. 
reading through the Bible together. That's the word of God. That's where that comes in in the definition. Okay? Now, my goal as your pastor is to get every single person in the church in a D group. It doesn't happen like that. It's going to take some time. Remember, it's a crock pot. And I would much rather have a crock pot pot roast than a microwave one. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. If you will join in one of these life groups as we're getting them rolling, we will get you to that stage where we can get you into a D group. Our D groups, ideally, D groups are gonna be birthed out of life groups. D groups are not meant to replace life groups. Do I have to be involved in both? It wouldn't hurt you. I'm not asking you to leave your life group so you can be in a D group. You need to stay in your life group. Stay with them. Because after a year of being in a D group, you're gonna be ready to, guess what, lead your own D group as God calls you and sets you apart for that. It's a beautiful picture of what discipleship will look like. Now, also out this morning, you have a front and back page that looks similar to this, and at the top it says, OTF 260 Reading Plan. That's weird. I didn't name it. OT stands for Old Testament. F260, Foundations 260 Reading Plan. This is what our D groups are going to be working on this year. And I want to invite you, church, to read along if you'd like to. This is just for you. You can take this, follow along. You'll see there's 52 weeks of reading, one or two chapters a day. The second one listed is recommended, but it's not required. Only the first one is required. Okay, you'll see there, there's also a memory verse for each week. Our D groups will be working through those as well. Now, some of our life groups, let me back up to this. Some of our life groups, if the life group leader chooses, will be able to follow along this plan on a, on a little bit lower level. I have gone through and selected text and chapters all, for all 52 weeks that I'll be preaching from over the next year. So when you look through this and you look at week one, you'll know next Sunday, January 9th, I'm starting with week one, and I'm gonna be preaching from Genesis chapter one. There you go. It's right here, all right? Now, I'm not telling you what that is, but if you have a life group that's ready to go and you want to follow along with sermon-based questions and discussion guide, it's ready for you. You can follow along. That means next week your life group would meet and you would discuss Genesis chapter one, okay? D groups, they discuss all five chapters that they're reading, but our life groups will, will, will be focusing on that sermon text for each week, okay? That's how that's gonna work. Week two, this, the third Sunday of January, I'm gonna be preaching from Genesis chapter 12. On down the list it goes. So we'll be preaching through the entire Old Testament, not chapter by chapter, but selected chapters, and you can join us in 52 weeks and have read the Old Testament. And this is laid out in a very nice chronological order, which maybe you haven't read before. Anyway, we have a great calling before us, and I'm excited about what discipleship looks like. Now, as I said last week, it's, it's not perfect, but we're gonna roll it out anyway. We're gonna take the punches as we go, and we're gonna learn what works and what's not working, and we're gonna tweak it. That's the fun part about being the church. We get to go and, and tweak things as we go, as God leads us to, to, to tweak them. And if you'll be patient and just 
tie a knot in the end of your rope and hang on, we're gonna go for a great ride. And when the end is, is here and all is said and done, not because of this program or anything else, but because of the work of God in our life, we're gonna look like Jesus when he comes back. All right, that's his promise. There was a story I read this week about a hiker that had gone to Yosemite National Park. He was from Chicago, and his backpack was, was packed up and ready to go. It, it was rather light, but he was ready to go. He, or he thought he was anyway. He had his most excellent hiking boots, had a full canteen of water on his, uh, in his backpack, and his goal was the summit, the summit of Half Dome. He was game for that eight-and-a-half-mile hike all the way up past the falls. He would see he was prepared, so he thought. As is often the case when you're hiking a mountain, the hike started with an effortless pace along the valley floor. But soon, his climb became steep, quite difficult. After a couple of miles into the hike, things started to go wrong. You see, it was the summertime and the heat was on and water supply that he brought was taking a hit. He wasn't quite ready, as ready as he thought. Of course, the higher you go in altitude, the air becomes rare, rarefied, and so it forced him to go just a tad bit slower than he was anticipating. It got to the point where each step became a chore and began getting muscle cramps in both legs. And then he came to a sign on the trailhead, and it said, half dome, two miles. He made it a long way. He looked up through the pine trees, and he could see the, the summit and what appeared to be little specks moving up and down the mountainside. And of course, those specks were hikers using a cable system that aided their climb up the final 900-foot grade to the summit. But he thought to himself, two more miles? Oh, there's no way. He knew his legs were spent, and he knew he had to abort that hike and return to the valley because he had not properly prepared his body for the task like he thought. After several months of exercise and conditioning, though, that hiker returned. A couple of days of getting his body settled, acclimating for the higher elevation, he successfully climbed that summit. Hard work and the preparation had paid off. We are called to follow Jesus. Part of discipleship is it's a process of preparation. We need to see God's method of preparing us for service as he has called us to serve. All throughout scripture, we see this. Moses spent years in what some call character building in Midian, in the desert, before God would call him out to lead his people out of Egypt. Daniel and Joseph spent a long period of time in preparation for their God-given missions. Of course, our complete and perfect example is Jesus Christ. But you realize it was 30 years of his life in what some call a time of 
preparation. We don't know what he was doing for those 30 years, but we know he was without sin. But for 30 years, and he spent three years in ministry with his disciples. God is always more interested in developing us into the image of Christ. That is the preparation that we take. That is the journey that we start on. God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. We always submit to his leading. We always submit to his timing. And we always trust him. I wanna invite you this morning in our time of response to pray for this next year of ministry for Coastal Oaks Church. As our praise team comes and leads us, I wanna invite you because I'm, I am excited about what God is doing and what he is working on and how he is working and who he has called to, to serve as D group leaders and how he's called men to come alongside uh, myself and some of others in our church to develop the men's ministry and how he has strategically placed uh, uh, strong women to lead our women's ministry. I, I'm fully confident that he is going to bring us a children's minister that will not just uh, plan but intentionally disciple our children and teach them and to help our adults teach them. God's got big plans. He's got big plans. I'm encouraged each week when I see Billy teaching our students and the team that he has around him, investing their lives in students, this praise team right here and how hard they work to lead us to the throne of grace each and every week, their willingness to give their time. God's got good things ahead of us. Do you believe that? He ain't got, I mean, it's not bad to look like Christ, folks. <laughs> it's not bad. That's good. It's all good. So I want you to pray right now.